When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, ghosts, and Bigfoot. Oh my, it's just another night for Supernatural Girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others. Here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker. I am here with my co-host, PK. How are you tonight? Absolutely fabulous compared to the rest of the country, that's for sure. Ooh. That is is for sure. It's pretty wicked out there from what we're getting. That's what we're hearing. It doesn't sound good. We're praying for Texas and everybody there, all the people, all the animals that are trying to find shelter amidst this storm that doesn't seem to have an end. Well, the worst part about it is it just seems, well, it's carrying all the way through to the East Coast, but I, my, I've got my grandkids are in Illinois, and that's, they're dealing with the black ice. They can't get to from areas. It's just a disaster coast to coast. It is just incredible. It's Not a lot. Nice. Mm-mm, it's a lot, to, but you're in a safe place. I'm in a safe place. We're always ready for winter in New England, and we've got the snow plows and the the salt to use on the roads, whatever we need. So we've got. Yeah, it, I'm ready for certainly. too. I've got my blanket out for the picnic in the backyard, that kind of stuff. <laughs> you're all it's set. It's today. I can't complain. Oh gosh, well that's not but a bad it's temperature. It's windy. That's Ooh. the bad part. When it, yeah, when it gets windy. I walk around like I've got I've got a sweater on and I'm all huddled up and people look at me. Hey, I can't help it. It's just part of the old age working <laughs> on me. <laughs> you have to dress like an Eskimo when you're used to warmer weather. Yeah, it's it's kind of hard to let our grip down a little bit to have it end up being cold and windy. I mean, we're spoiled like the devil. That's why everybody you comes are. here for the winter and we That's can't right. drive. We down. all come to visit you. That's right. <laughs> Well, today is December 17th, December, what year am I in? Today is February 17th, and what is going on with the numbers? What's happening? Well, the first thing we have to remember, and I hate to plug the old issue, but this is a month of deceit, deception, issues, fears, fantasies, all of the above, but it's also a great time to learn and to teach. But we've been in retrograde, so everything we've done has been back asswards, okay? So we're having to work on all of that and get things turned around. Retrograde ends on the 20th, 
but we always have a shadow period afterwards. So people that have been holding off doing the things that's required when the retrograde is ongoing, like getting your messages out, electronics that break down and whatever, all of this will be fine after the 20th, but we're in that shadow period for about five to seven days afterwards. So don't jump the gun. Just kind of ease into this, getting back to real life, shall we say. But do pay attention to what you're being told. Uh, we're getting half answers to things. And I don't think there's anybody I've talked to that hasn't been saying they've got difficulty sleeping, dreams, uh, half dreams, feeling in between two stages, not quite knowing what's real and what's not real. It really, it's giving us opportunity to rethink, re-evolve into what is really going to be normal. And we haven't seen any of it this month, that's for sure. But towards the end of the month, things will start to totally turn around. But as soon as they do, we've got some issues ongoing with authority and authority figures stepping in there. So we're going to have to kind of pay attention to the very end of the month and the first part of and throughout, I'll say on and off throughout next month. But we'll get into that when that day comes. Let's just deal with getting out of the harm's way right now. So put on your big girl pants or big boy pants and muddle through this. It's going to be okay. Just don't count on everything you hear, see as being real. We're in between. And if we use it that way, we'll make it through it without any major food pause. Well, that's, that's it. Good advice. My, my side of the table. Oh, my. I know all of this stuff you've been predicting all along, all of this this stuff about the lies we've been told and, you know, to be careful because it's the things are it's still circulating. And oh, yeah. It would be nice if the truth yet. could come out. <laughs> Right Before the truth. this is over, we'll know more things that we really want to know. But the balance of what's taking place, we will find out in March. And okay. March is when we deal with authority figures and people in control, governmental issues. So oh hang on to your hat, folks. We've got a heck of a ride coming up. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes. And there's we'll a lot of... Go ahead. We're We're on the roller coaster going uphill. We have to take the trip back down, so... Hold on to the side of the little cars. Okay. <laughs> we will. We will. And there's been a lot of UFO sightings. I say that every week because they just keep increasing. There's I know more it. and more of them. I post them all the time on our Facebook page, so take a look there. We've got videos. We've got stories. We've got reports. So just go take a look. And the Pentagon is finally admitting that they have off-world craft. So that is being leaked out into the press as we knew they'd eventually start more of this soft disclosure. And here it is again that they have been back engineering this off-world technology. So for the first time, they're acknowledging that. So that's interesting. They don't have a choice anymore. There's so much of it, and it's coming from so many different resources and sources that for them to keep saying no, going to make them look like total jackasses so they're going to have to right. pony up say the truth even if we're only going to nice. get dribbles of it at we're, a time we're we're waiting for it i mean we really are mm-hmm. so i also wanted to share with everybody we've been looking at something called the grab avoid numbers which you may have heard about There's a lot of people talking about this now these number sequences were developed by the russian psychic grigory 
Grabovoy. That's his name. So using his radionic machine, he sourced these codes. And so for those of you who don't know what radionic theory and practice is, it's the concept that all life forms share a common ground in that they are all connected to each other within the electromagnetic field of the Earth and that all life forms carry their own electromagnetic field, which when sufficiently distorted will result in disease and sickness. Now, accepting that all is energy, which we often talk about this here on the show, radionics sees organs, diseases, and remedies of life situations as having their own particular frequency or vibration. So these factors can be expressed in numerical values or rates or in the form of geometric patterns. Now, his model uses the creative field of information, also known as consciousness energy, to manifest any information or object you want, as well as those not subject to the space-time continuum. He also discovered methods of conversion of information of any act into a known geometric form. Now, you can read about this. He has several books out. One is called Recovery of the Human Body, Focusing on Numbers. But every week, what we're going to do is we are going to give our audience all you guys, one code to work with, or I should say play with. People are apparently getting really good results. So this is what you can do. I'm going to give you the code numbers. You're going to write them down if you'd like, and then place them anywhere you feel that they will do the most good. And they also recommend that you visualize the code in silver, which they claim is the highest activator for these. And then repeat the code, either out loud or in your mind, 28 times. So here's your code for the week. It's about receiving unexpected money. And the code is 520-7418. I'll repeat it. 520-7418. So for something like that, you could write it on a piece of paper and put it in your wallet or put it under your pillow or put it on your altar. It's something fun to do, and so do it with a lot of joy in your heart. Let's see what can happen. And we'd love it if you get back to us and let us know what happens when you use this Grabavoy code. So have fun with it. Now, tonight we have a wonderful guest, and it, she and her, this is a wonderful guest who does the same kind of work, but with a di- very different perspective, and this is all about the Deva Kingdom, but it's all life being connected. It's the same thing that we were just talking about with these codes. So we have tonight Jacqueline Lane. She is the author of a number of books, and her newest book is called Deva, Our Relationship with the Subtle World, and This is a very important show, I have to say, because for so long we've been taught to neglect and avoid the trees, the beautiful plants, our beautiful earth. And so we're happy to have Jacqueline with us tonight to reawaken us, to help us understand all about the Deva Kingdom, how to connect, and how they can help us to have 
an awareness and a consciousness that we really do want as we evolve on the planet. Now, Jacqueline is a widely traveled New Zealand artist. She has called us from New Zealand today. It's today for her. It's tonight for us, and it's the next day for her as well. And Jacqueline is also an educator, and she's been involved with a variety of metaphysical studies for 50 years. So, Jacqueline, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Patricia. That's really great. Um, and it was uh, really interesting to hear your words about the uh, the Russian because, as you say, it's just another view of of uh, what we're all trying to understand. It really is because this so, is really I'd, a lot I'd, about I'd like what you're to, saying in your book. Yeah. Um, I think it's a good idea to start by <clears throat> helping listeners to understand what is actually meant by this word deva. And um, you know, most of the time people think of deva as fairies flitting around the flower beds and nature spirits and the trees and things like that. But it's much, much, much deeper than that. Because um, deva, is a, deva is a Sanskrit word, which is an ancient language of India. And it means literally being of light. So we're talking about... Um, we're talking about beings of light as we do with fairies, etc. But it's even deeper than that because Deva, in an esoteric sense, are known as the builders of form. Um, so just if you can just wrap your heads around that for a few seconds, uh, builders of form, what does that mean exactly? Well, we're using matter all the time. Right? We're in a physical body, obviously, and... If we're not in a physical body, we're considered dead. Actually, we're not, of course. We're just using a different kind of body. But we're using physical matter to have a human body. But we're also using um, what we call emotional matter or astral matter um, to have emotions. And we're using mental matter to have thoughts. Now, most of us don't think of this as being a relationship with different grades of matter, but actually that's what we're doing as we evolve. We evolve into a different relationship with matter because we're starting to use different kinds of matter as we evolve. So if we go back in, um, back in our deep history of humanity on Earth, we have begun as um, much more primitive people and um, who, have, who didn't have an experience of emotion in the sense that we know it today. That has been an evolutionary trend. So we've had to learn, even as babies, you know, we repeat things when, we, when we're born um, we obviously are born without the ability to walk or run or any of those things, and we have to learn again how to do those things each lifetime we come in. So it's a, it's a similar thing that what happens with our ev evolution, and as, as we're born and we grow up, we're kind of going through that history again. So, and we, we are beginning to learn... Um, when we're young children, 
how to use this astral matter that we call emotions. And then as we grow up, we are learning how to use mental matter, which we call thoughts. And the, the important thing here is, so what's this got to do with Deva? Well, Deva in this uh, much, much bigger idea of what Deva is, what the Deva kingdom is about, Deva is the, the active, responsive intelligence in matter, but not just matter as solid matter as we think of it normally, but matter at every level of density. So when we have, we, so we'll stick with the physical body for a minute. So our physical body is full of elemental life. We've got little tiny cells. Within those cells, we've got atoms and um, molecules. And embedded in the smallest forms of matter, that is, atoms and their particles, is this minuscule version of Deva, which provides the intelligence so that that atom knows what it is. So without that Deva principle... Hydrogen doesn't know how to be hydrogen. Oxygen atoms don't know how to be oxygen. And without that intelligence embedded in those two kinds of atoms, we wouldn't have water. So we're beginning to sense the importance of the Deva Kingdom and why they're called, it's called the form builders. Ah, okay. Now, Righto. you were so, talking in your, in your yeah. book about... The, there is a hierarchy, and that's fascinating, that there's a hierarchy yes. in that kingdom. Yes. That's right. So so we've gone sort of back down to the very beginning with the atoms. But if we go, so we think about our physical body, it's a hierarchy in itself. There are people have this um, today because we're so into equality, we're coming into the Aquarian age, we want to think of everybody as equal, and that's great. But when it comes to the actual building of form, it is a... So on top of the atoms, we've got molecules built out of those atoms, and we've got um, out of the molecules, we've got cells built. Out of the cells, we've got organs built, and out of the organs, we've got a body built. And then we move up to the higher level, which is our emotional body. And, you know, we have feelings, and our feelings are built up over experience and time um, into complex, very complex systems of how we feel about everything and judgments and, and um, pleasure or not pleasure, etc. And so... It is a hierarchy, and the Deva kingdom that we think of in nature, which is what most people are familiar with about the Deva kingdom, also has a hierarchy. So when we, we are enamored with the nature spirits and with the fairies because they're cute, they're beautiful, especially the way that they're represented, and we think that that's all Deva is about. But in fact... The Deva kingdom, as we've said, is a hierarchy, and the elementals, um, if we talk about the elementals, they have a hierarchy as well, so that the, um, the fairies and the nature spirits 
un, are partway up that hierarchy. So they're actually reasonably advanced in terms of the Deva kingdom. If we go down, if we have a look at a plant and we have a look at the leaves, the intelligence within those leaves know how to be leaves. They know, for instance, you're in the Northern Hemisphere, so you've got lots of um, trees that are deciduous. And when those trees shut down at the end of autumn, um, they're also starting to build up already. They're building up the... Um, the sprouts, if you like, the, the, of the new leaves that are going to come out in the next spring. And those leaves I discovered when I was um, studying for my first book, which is called The Children of Gaia, and it's about the forests of the world and the, the impact that we've had on those forests and therefore our impact on the day of the kingdom that, that is inhabiting those forests. When those when those leaves are set up in the before the winter, they're set up so that when they blossom out in the spring, the leaves are going to be set in a way that each leaf can catch the sunlight in the most optimum fashion. So this tells us that there's this extraordinary intelligence going on here that can know how to, in the, in the, if you like, the seed of the next leaf, uh, the next cluster of leaves that's going to come out months later, how it's going to be arranged. And this is Deva at work at the very elemental level. And the nature spirits, you can think of the nature spirits as being like the sort of semi-supervisors who are who are a little bit higher up the ladder from that and they are using their energy to um, help to supervise the health and the opening out of those leaves, etc. When, when that spring comes. And then higher up again, um, the, those nature spirits are actually under the command of much higher deva. So it would be, let's, let's take an oak tree, they'd be under the command of the deva of that species of oak tree. And that deva is a very high being that most of us can't connect with. Um, we, you know, we like fairies because they're attractive and they're fun and, and all that stuff. But that, that much higher level of deva uh, is, is of a different order altogether. And um, when we can connect with those higher deva, whether it's trees, mountains, whatever it is, um, the experience is really extraordinary. And some of that, as you'll know, I've kind of you know, put forward in the book as my experiences, and that's usually what we get when we read books about um, people's knowledge and experience of Deva. We get um, a catalogue of their experiences, and that... Those experiences are important because they tell us what it could be like if we're also able to um, make contact with the Deva Kingdom. But what you I talk about to do in, in this in, book... In your book, you also yeah. talk about indigenous people, like the indigenous people that yes. you have in New Zealand. And it's many of them, um, it sounds like, have not lost their connection to the Deva Kingdom. Yeah. 
we've cut ourselves That's off. That's exactly right. And so we yes. we don't have we haven't had that ability or that natural communication that the indigenous uh, tribes do have, and hopefully will continue to keep alive. But somehow you managed to keep your connection. How did you do that? Well, I didn't. Yeah, I kind of as a child, I you know used to lie in the long grass. We lived next to a playing field where they played. Um, rugby in the winter and cricket in the summer and you know when the grass got long I would lie on it and um, I just knew the fairies were there and the nature spirits were there I couldn't see them Um, but years and years later um, in my how old was I gosh I can't remember but I met a woman called Karen and um, my relationship with her is, is detailed in the book as well and she grew up in a family who always acknowledged the nature spirits and the children of that family, about five kids there, um, they, were, they were brought up by parents who, who were sensitive to the nature spirits and who trained the children to, you know, encourage them to do the same. I think the reason that most of us don't is that we're not encouraged to be sensitive to all the signals, the very, very subtle signals signals that are coming to us from plants and trees and so on. But if you go, and as I did yesterday, I was thinking about talking to you guys today, and I went for a walk in a beautiful uh, little forest that's not too far from here, from where I live, and um, there are some very large trees called totara trees. They're native to New Zealand. And I just did what I always do and that's just place my hands on the bark and just feel and if you go and put your hand on a on a tree of any size but particularly a significantly sized tree I don't see how you can help but feel the life that's in the inside it because mm-hmm. trees have this warmth to them now maybe not maybe not in Massachusetts at the moment but <laughs> but certainly when the when there's no snow or ice they have this warmth to them because they're growing and i think it's one of the easiest ways to to just start to establish a connection with 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 the um with the daily life within them but Karen, what Karen did is she took me out. We were living um, at a beach settlement at the time. And Karen and I would go out, and there was a big lagoon, and we'd walk around the lagoon that had lots of trees and bushes and so on. And we'd sit by the lagoon, and she'd say, What can you see? What can you feel? And what she basically did was to um, confirm what I was sensing. And I think, you know, when we've got somebody else with us who, who can say, yes, I also can feel that, and yes, that's the impression that I have, then it encourages us to just strengthen those abilities which we many of us have but have been just ignored or pushed aside by society in general or by where we live. If we live in a city, um, that's difficult. We have to go to a, a park to get that same thing, but we can, and many people do, we can also realise that we have a similar opportunity in our house. 
because houses or even buildings, apartment buildings, or you know, you go to a, you go to Grand Central Station in New York, and you sit there for a few minutes and you concentrate, you can feel the um, what can I call it? The identity, the the um, the personification of something about that building. It has its own feeling. It it has its own deva. And buildings have, um, because of all the people that use them and because of the people that make them, they, the deva, if you like, kind of emerges out of that contribution of elemental energy that's gone into the making of it and to the habitation of it. And your dwellings are a lot like that. That's so interesting. Now, let me ask you, because I'm getting a lot of text questions from the audience about fairies. And I know you sent me an email saying that fairies don't have wings. So tell us about that, because um, that's how you know we were yeah, taught to see fairies with wings. <laughs> yeah. Well, what happens is that when we sense nature spirits or fairies or whatever we call them, we, what we're sensing or seeing is, them, is the movement. Um, but we're seeing through our brain. And our brain, our, our brain has, as we know, a so-called left and right side. But, um, but there are, you know, that's a, a, a bit of a sort of popular way to look at it. But it's, it's good enough for us in this discussion. Um, and it's the left side of the brain that wants to make sense of everything. The left side wants to say, uh, I need an, a logical explanation for what I'm seeing or feeling, right? Mm-hmm. So what our brain says uh, unconsciously is, this thing is flitting around all over the place. It's got to have wings because nothing can flit around deliberately like that without having wings, right? So mm-hmm. it's our brain that's actually constructing what we think these creatures look like whereas they may in fact not actually be like that at all because they they are they're etheric right they're not solid physical objects if you like they're etheric creatures so they're like a little bit like light you know light doesn't have wings um well Fairies are light. Deva, let's look back at the word again. Deva means being of light. So they don't need wings to to move like light because they are light, okay? So mm-hmm. what we've done over the years is, and look, I can sympathize with it because when I wrote and illustrated The Children of Gaia, there's 178 pictures in that book, I had to decide... How am I going to represent the Deva in the book? And I really struggled with that. Now, there's an author called Marco Pajagnik who wrote a book called Nature Spirits and Elemental Beings. It's, uh, he also, like me, is a Fintorn Press author. Um, it's been around for a long time, but Marco has done a really good thing in his book. He has represented the elementals in squiggly lines was the sense that there is a creature there. Now, I could have done that, 
but being an artist, you know, I wanted to kind of humanise them a bit. And uh, I probably shouldn't have, but I felt that if I didn't make them look a little bit like human beings, such that we could recognise a face, etc., um, and some kind of bodily form, that um, people wouldn't relate to them. But the other reason is that um, we are, we're told by other writers in times past that probably what they do is that they tend to mimic us so that we can communicate with them. Oh. And if they're, they're fluid beings, right, um, fluid in the sense of light, they can, if you like, arrange their own form so that it's more like something we will recognize and that way we can communicate with them more easily because we accept them as, in a sense, a little bit like us. So does that make sense? It does. What do you think, PK? Does that make sense? It makes sense to me. Definitely it does. It gives us the opportunity to look at things in a total, complete way in, instead of just what we assume. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because so many and, stories, you know, there's Tinkerbell yeah. and then so many other, you know, fantastical characters in our media, and so we do tend to associate in a certain way. And is there yeah. also a hierarchy among the fairies? Oh, look, I haven't gone into it in that much detail um, in the sense that I'm not I'm not really kind of interested. You know, a lot of people are interested in, um, what do you call it, kind of, um, oh, I've lost the word. It's the problem when you get older, you lose words. They disappear <laughs> out of your head. It's like names, well. you know, they disappear and then they come back five minutes later. Um, um, yeah, I'm, I've never been interested in kind of labeling things like, um, taxonomy is the word I'm looking for um, so you know in nature you have the taxonomy of plants or trees or things like that and I'm hopeless um, I've got a son who's an ecologist and a brother who's an ecologist and you know they can go around and they can tell me now that's a such and such a tree and, and that's a such and such and I, I went out with my son into this beautiful forest up in, in north of the South Island once and we were with some Americans, actually, um, uh, a famous ecologist and his wife. And um, I said, oh, that's a lo- look at that lovely fungus, Reuben. <laughs> My son said, turned to me and just looked me in the eye and said, that mother is a liverwort, not a fungus. <laughs> so I'm, I'm hopeless. <laughs> oh, that's so, so funny. I'm not going to gonna kind of worry whether, you know, fairies have got hierarchies or not. But um, I can say that, and I, I have recorded this in the book, I've certainly noticed that there are different kinds of um, manifestations of fairies in the sense that there's, there's one um, in there that I saw when I was with Karen, which was um, on a, a beautiful part of the, of, of the stream. And it was like, um, it was a little bit like an umbrella. And, and it kind of, opened like the umbrella part of it was skirts and out of it came all these little tiny fairies um and you know a little bit like that that sort of story of um mother hubbard type people who you know have all the little children in their big skirts yeah it's a bit like wow. that and that and that 
that was it was skimming across the top of the top, across the top of the water, energizing the water, and I assumed that the um, the little even smaller ones that were were released from the skirt, or what looked like a skirt to me, um, were were doing the same thing, and it's very interesting that yes, it, you know, there's definitely a hierarchy. But have I made a, a study of the actual hierarchies? Not particularly, um, because I'm my my focus has shifted as time's gone on, really from the fairy base um, more to the overlighting deva that are, um, are overlighting landscapes and weather systems and things like that. It, it's kind of a natural progression, I think. Yes. Yeah. No. I, I'm not sure if there is a big difference here, but people are also asking about it. What is the difference between fairies and gnomes? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, that's oh, that's easy. Um, well, gnomes, in my experience, they're they're associated with the earth, right? They're very earthy, um, and they they live in they they tend to occupy. Um, hills and and um, mount not so much yeah mountains a bit but um, more the hills are found are found that sort of a, what we would call gnomes or brownies um, but when you get up to yeah and I, I guess they're in the mountains as well but um, it depends where you live as to what you classify as a mountain. We New Zealand like it's very similar to Japan and it's got a a very um, n- not so much coastal land, but a lot of mountains. There's a big spine of Alps going right up the South Island, and there's a lot of mountain ranges in the North Island as well. So um, we, yeah, I tend to I tend to find that the the larger mountains have a seem to have a slight a, a different kind of hierarchy. Um, and and their their overall deva of each mountain is much much bigger, um, much more powerful. Um, and there's some an interesting group here that are working with the mountains, not just of New Zealand but of the world as well, in in terms of deva. Um, and the mountains, well, everything sounds notes. You know, we all sound a note because everything's moving, everything's vibrating. Um, our cells are vibrating, the flower, everything is vibrating. And so there is a sound to everything. And uh, one of the most beautiful experiences I've had in this field was in Scotland. I was in um, a place called Abbotsford Wood, which is the old estate of Sir Walter Scott. And there I could actually hear the forest, the, the singing of the forest, not the physical singing as we get with cicadas or crickets and things like that, but the actual vibration of the forest um, creates a song on those more subtle levels. And that's what it's like. If you were, if you were a fairy, the world would be singing all the time. Mm. That's amazing. That would be delightful. It makes yeah. sense, though. 
I mean, doesn't it, PK? You need to have that, the the tones, the sounds. It's a feel good. It yeah. makes you feel that feeling of uh, utopia, euphoria. It it mm. just feels yeah. so good. You can relate to something like that. And you know, there's something yeah. interesting oh, I want to share with you all too. And you talk about the forest, and the the forest has been known to be very healing for people, right? And yes. there is a technology that was is in use in Europe, and it was engineered in Germany, and it's called Airnergy, A-I-R-N-E-R-G-Y. And they call it forest breathing. What they do is they take oxygen and they photosynthesize it somehow inside this machine, and then you get to breathe this oxygen. It opens up your lungs. It helps overall health. They found in Germany that people that had macular degeneration were able to get their sight back. They saw MS patients recover from MS. They have a lot of of observational and actual research data on this machine. Now, these machines are in use in spas and salt caves and places like that in Europe, and they call them forests breathing stations so you can go there wow. and breathe this air yeah and it's they say it's the healing power of the forest so it's so interesting you know, how all of this comes together and it's also nice to know that somebody figured out that the forests are in fact truly healing that they have such a profound healing effect on the physical body you think about well, there's another in interesting forest. You see, but when you go into the forest, right. the uh, higher of California area, it's it's just like walking into another world. It just envelops you as you walk through it. So it definitely gives you yes. the opportunity to feel better and feel like you're going to uh, expand, shall we say, with nature in itself. Yes. Well, I think I think there's two other things to add to this. Um, one is, of course, that you know. Trees breathe out oxygen, um, mm-hmm. and so you know when you're in a forest, you're going to be if it's certainly if the leaves are out, you're going to be um, getting a good hit of oxygen. Um, but secondly, um, um, where was I leading with that? Again, my brain's gone. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, don't, just, don't feel yeah, keep talking, and it'll come back to me in a minute. Um, where was I? Forest. Oh yes, that's right. Um, in the in the esoteric literature, there's also a system of rays, right? You know, they talk about seven rays, and the um, the rays are the different kinds of energy that run through the planet and that we're all subjected to. Now, the second ray is the ray of love, wisdom, and that is the ray that is said to govern the vegetable kingdom, right? Mm -hmm. So that means that when we're in a forest or surrounded by a lot of growing plants, we are being subjected to all all those rays of love and wisdom. And that's another reason why we feel so good in, in, in green spaces. Well, that all makes sense to me, for sure. Definitely. 
Yeah. Well, we're going to take a very short commercial break and come back and continue this exciting conversation about what is all around us and how we can connect with it. It's so important for our own survival and our own health. So I'm going to uh, take a little break here. We're all going to join you in just a few minutes. We'll come back and speak with author and expert Jacqueline Lane again. And she's the author of the new book, Deva, Our Relationship with a Subtle World. So stay tuned, everyone. We'll be right back. Pure essential oils, specialized minerals, and a revolutionary anti-aging technology. Astridian combines the best of all scientifically proven ingredients in easy-to-use creams, lotions, and concentrated serums. Astridian's advanced line of products take your skin to a new level of being healthy and beautiful. We offer a variety of collections that address all your skin concerns. The Essential Anti-Aging Series treats and moisturizes your skin for a long-lasting, younger look. The Multivitamin Series promotes healthy skin with high-quality vitamins and minerals. The Sports Series restores skin from cellular damage and stress. Astridian also offers a revitalizing solution for hair and a professional series for doctors and medical spas. Visit astridian.love today and begin your new journey to healthy, beautiful, youthful skin. Astridian, beyond your expectations. Your property tax bill. Have you seen it lately? It's frightening. Your property taxes are going up while your home value is going down. It's time to fight back and win. For the real truth about the property tax system, get Attorney Pat Quintilian's book, Are You Getting Screwed on Your Property Taxes? How to Find Out and How to Fix It. Attorney Quintilian answers all your questions and gives you the facts you need to fight a property tax bill that is spiraling out of control. You'll also read about what happens to property owners who don't check their property records, only to find out too late they're taxed on square footage, fixtures, and even buildings that they don't own. Is this happening to you? Learn your rights. Buy Attorney Pat Quintilian's book today. Are you getting screwed on your property taxes? How to find out and how to fix it. Available on Amazon.com. Welcome back, everyone. We are having a great discussion tonight with author expert Jacqueline Lane. She is the author of a new book, Deva, Our Relationship with the Subtle World. So, Jacqueline, we've we've talked a little bit about a lot of things tonight, but tell us more about the devas themselves, the, the larger uh, devas that you've encountered and had experiences with. Uh, you've referred to them as being much more powerful. What does that mean exactly? Okay, well, um, if you, you know, you've seen the photographs of a great big um, a hurricane coming over your country on several occasions in the last few years, um, mm-hmm. and you know what that looks like, right? It's gigantic, yes. and yes. it's moving, and it's, uh, yeah. Okay, well, that gives you, that hurricane has is a deva force, right? So these huge patterns of weather are 
they are Davic forces. And, um, you know, they've got lots of little elementals as part of them, but the overall movement and power is, is a deva. Now, one of the most delightful experiences I've had was standing on the beach um, here in New Zealand once um, and realising that there... Because I'd, I'd often tried to... Um, get some communication with the, with the sea davers. I couldn't kind of find my way into it. But on this particular day, um, while I didn't on that occasion con- connect with any of the sea daver life, what I did see was that there is this beautiful, um, it's like a, an army of light, if you like, um, that skims across the top of the oceans. And they... Uh, I'm pretty sure I wrote about this in the book, but they this this band of light, um, these davas of light, they're kind of like connecting between between the sea and the buddhic plane, which is higher than where our souls are. So it's this wonderful, and that was kind of just the start, really, for me of of learning to uh, recognize these enormous interchanges um, between the planet and its surroundings and between parts of the planet and its upper levels. So when we go, if you, you know, you, we, people want to know how they, can, how they can connect. Well, if you go to a park, most cities have parks. Um, I love Central Park in New York. I think it's a great place, especially um, that it's been rescued from what it was several decades ago. But anyway, you can sit in a park and you can can sit by a tree and you can feel the tree. But then if you reach your senses out, you you can feel what the park as a whole feels like and especially if it's a nice day, of course, it's a lot easier, Um, you can feel the life that is joined together in this park by the trees and the bushes and the grasses and so on that are are growing there. And this this is really all you need to start doing. Most people are trying too hard when they, you know, they, they want desperately to be able to see Deva. And at this point, I think we should we should mention that um, Dorothy McLean, who only passed on just uh, last year at the age of 102, she was the woman in the Fintorn community in Scotland, um, which is the, the, um, the community that sparked my interest really strongly in the first place. She was the one who communicated with Deva for the community she was the one who got instruction from the davas of different um, vegetable species and so on as to what how, what the compost should be like, when to plant, when not to plant, etc. And um, she was often asked by people, how do I see them? And her response was, well, I've never seen them, right? So mm. even though she was in contact with these beings, 
she did not see them physically. Now, when we see these creatures physically, what we're doing is actually an astral thing. It's something that we're doing at the level of our emotional body. And she was, she was pointing out, and this is a very controversial thing for some people, she was pointing out that the astral level is not where we're supposed to be concentrating. The astral level is the level of our emotions. We're supposed to be growing out of that and getting up higher than that. So don't think that just because you can't actually see them that you can't feel the presence or hear the presence or sense the presence of the deva, the nature spirits and the fairies that you really so much want to. It doesn't, you don't have to see them to connect with them. That's a really, really important thing I want to get across to listeners. But you can feel them and you can know them if you are open to it. Now, I've not seen Deva very, seen them in that physical sense very often. And it tended to be only when I was working on my book, The Children of Gaia. It was as if I was given, shown them so that I could write the book. Hmm. But since then, um, I really don't see them very often, but I do sense them. And that's just as important uh, as being able to see them. So I hope that That's helps people news. who are yeah. struggling to see things <laughs> yeah. that they don't actually need to see physically. That's great because we do tend to get very cut off from our environment and we get isolated yeah. and we don't connect. So when we're very focused on our vision and what we're seeing with our physical eyes. So it's nice to know that you don't have to go down that road. You can just sense and feel what's out there and communicate with it. And reestablish contact because yes. we've lost this. I mean, I, I can't imagine that our ancestors didn't have that connection. They must have. And then over the years, it's been trained out of us. We've been brainwashed into thinking reality is just a certain way. But this is what we've been missing. We've been we've missed out on a lot of these connections because of that. That's so true. Yes, we have. It's also understandable, though. Because, you know, we're trying to develop mental capacity. And, um, and that's meant that, you know, we've got caught up in the logic of things and, and have tended to, um, because of the rise of science, well, what's happened with the rise of science, if you go back through history, is that all the wise women and um, who were the healers, they were replaced by the medical profession who were males, right? Yeah. And so a lot of that, that um, female wisdom was suppressed. It was, you know, it was the excuse for, the, for all the witch burning and all that horrible nonsense that they, they did. It was, um, but, you know, that's behind us and now we have to, we have to, pick up if you like uh, there is something too I want to point out that the Deva kingdom as a kingdom is actually said to be in advance evolutionary speaking of the human kingdom we are not as, as advanced as the Deva kingdom um, and this is something I think that's quite important to realise because it means that if we understand this 
that we can have far more respect for nature because if we realize that actually we don't have the power or the evolution, the advancement that this kingdom has, why do we think that we can do what we like? Good question. Yeah. Very yeah. good question. Without any consequences. We, fa- we have to face these consequences. Yep. And I think that we are being forced to. Definitely. I mean, in your book um, also now. you talk about our, our use and abuse of pesticides and chemicals to get mm-hmm. a certain result, and it's not really working in concert with the land, and so we're, we might end up, as you said, with a pretty lawn, but we're not working with things the way we should be. So this is something that we could no, you've only got to see how, right? how, how much um, it doesn't take a lot of research to read an article about how how much the insect life is suffering from um, from pesticides and so on. And you know this is this is really critical for us. Um, the bees, for example, the population of bees worldwide is is in jeopardy, and. Uh, when I thought about it recently, um, when when we were, or oh gosh, 20 years ago even, um, when we drove around New Zealand, we would get our windows splattered with insects flying into our car windows, right? Mm-hmm. We don't anymore. And that really? means that those insects are not there. Wow. So you know, where are they? You think about it, you go for a ride in the summertime, that used to be the fact when we were a lot younger, but that's not the case any longer. You're right. They, you don't have that's the windshield right. be covered with bugs anymore. Yeah. No. And that's that's a really scary prospect because we need the insects for everything. And, um, you know, in the last five years or so, I've noticed that the, the plants and the trees in our garden, not the trees so much, but the bushes and plants and smaller plants and the food plants they're far more there's a lot more fungus and um, pet, you know pests that are not being taken care of by the good you know the good beetles or bugs that would normally eat them and um, and you know our environment is um, supposedly relatively healthy well what's happening in the west of the world it, it's it's pretty grim it is. No, it's terrible. Now that you're mentioning it, how many things that we don't see anymore that were common when we were some years back, and that they're no longer with us. Yeah, unfortunately, you know, if we're of a certain age, we remember that, but the coming generation doesn't know because they don't remember. That's true. Right. That is also you know, true. And I, I think this comes to to another point that I, I think is a pity today is that um, I don't know about in your country, but um, I notice that certainly in mine and perhaps in Australia, there isn't the um, regard for older wisdom or for older people generally. You know, we put old people into rest homes and um, hope that, you know, they won't bother us anymore because it was their problems. Um, But actually we're not... When the younger people are not bothering to ask, they're not bothering to talk to older people and say, you know, what was it like? What was 
what was the world like when you were younger? Now, you know, you'll get a lot of history that perhaps the younger people don't want to know, but maybe they should be asking their grandparents, um, what was nature like when you were a, a child, you know? Um, yeah. Maybe that's something that younger people can think about doing and seek out some of the people who uh, have worked in, the, in, in wilder places and find out what was it like and what's missing. Those well, are that's very, very important true. questions. Yeah. People aren't paying any attention to the past. They're all hooked up to electronics. Mm-hmm. And that's the combination yes. of people yes. go out to dinner, they don't even talk with one another. Everybody sits there with their phone in their hand. <laughs> no, it's yeah. It's bad, but it's anyway, the other thing that's really interesting is that <clears throat> another, I mean, we can talk on this. Well, that's why I wrote a book, because there was so much to say. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> um, Deva as a kingdom, excuse me, I think I'd better have a wee drink here. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, get some water for your, yourself. Okay. <clears throat> as a kingdom, Deva evolved through joy, Right. Now, it's said that the human kingdom evolves through pain, <laughs> which is not oh. a very good thought. But oh, when you terrible. think about it, and in, in my contact with Dave, that that's obvious. They are so joyful. They are so joyful. Um, but we learn from our pain and our mistakes. <coughs> it's that's the only way that we learn is through mistakes. That we're, not the fact that of the mistakes, but of the pain that we have to go through to learn through the mistakes. Yes, yes. So I prefer the, the, the Deva way. I think the Deva way is more fun. <laughs> Give me the answers and let me go with it. It's okay, I can handle that one. Yeah, let's let go of the pain. Yeah, so and that's learn probably joy. another reason why we should um, try and communicate and, and be aware of Deva. But, you know, before we um, wrap up in a little while, I'd like to just um, also bring attention to the fact that um, we have these different bodies, if, if you like. You know, we have a physical body, we have the, an, an emotional body, and we have a mental body. <clears throat> and <clears throat> because, because we have these different levels of matter that we're using, we're dealing with different kinds of Davic forces all the time and um, so if you think about the emotional body and you think about you know when we when we lose it when we lose our temper when we um, you know get hysterically um, laughing or something like that um, when we lose control of our emotions what's happening is actually that the elementals of our emotional body are in charge. We're not in charge. Mm. And so that's a, I think that's a really important concept because that means that we are not, we haven't learned to use this matter, this emotional matter, which remember is astral matter, we haven't learned to use that astral matter wisely. And we all know people, um, they seem to be pretty rare, unfortunately, who manage to still have a sense of humor, 
but to maintain their equilibrium. And, um, you know, the wise people of the world who, who don't um, get hysterical, they don't um, lose control, they're not totally emotional all the time. And this is an important thing to realize that when we, when we can get control of our emotions, we're actually getting control of that elemental force that we're using to have emotion. And if we're doing that, we are actually raising those elementals to a higher level. So we've got a really important role with these elementals that we're using. And it's the same with thinking. When we, when we are in the sort of lower levels of thought, you know, we're highly rational, and that's great. It's good to be rational. We need to be rational. But there is a higher, there's a higher kind of thinking above that, and it's the kind of thinking that is... Um, that's closer to the soul, if you like. When we, get, when we get an inspiration, a high inspiration or an impulse to do something altruistic, that's coming <clears throat> from a higher level than our lower emotions. It's coming down from our soul. So we also need to, to realize that um, we need to be open to these much higher levels of being because what we're doing then is we're actually engaging with a higher level of matter, with a higher level of elementals. And that way, uh, as we said before, we're not as highly advanced as the Deva Kingdom. But when we can learn to engage in these higher levels of matter, those higher levels of elementals, we're on the way. Yes, we would be. It makes a lot of sense to try this and experiment with it and, and see what you can feel, everybody. It's a it's a very good way to go because it's a reconnection effort rather than what we've been subjected to, uh, especially recently with this pandemic or whatever it is, that uh, we've had lockdowns and we've had lots of isolation, not allowed to socialize. So it's in some ways, it's forcing us to go inwards. Now, the interesting part to me is that when they had all these lockdowns at the very beginning, they were reporting that the waterways were clearing up, they were cleaning up. So the and there was a lot of wildlife that was walking the streets. It just kind of, it was an interesting set point, a different kind of a balance that yep. happened. So... Yes. I think we could all yes. take this and opportunity Venus. to continue that and, and reconnect with the Deva That's Kingdom right. and see what we can learn. Yeah, well, when we have a crisis, we've got the opportunity to do things differently. And I, I, I desperately hope that, um, that we will collectively um, and individually, because collectively begins with each individual, um, right. that we can try and get that figured out. You know what? What needs to change in our individual life that will contribute to a change in our collective lives? And um, as you said, I think it's a very good point that you've raised there because Venus, for example, um, 
I haven't been to Venice for many for several decades. I was there in the in the early 1970s, um, and we loved it. But you know what we're hearing about Venice today is that uh, well before the pandemic um, is that it you know it was full of ships. Um, the canals were all polluted. Um, right. You know the wildlife was gone from the water. And it didn't take very long in the lockdown for, as you say, for all these, these waterways to clear up and for the wildlife to come back, you know, fish to be swimming up the rivers and so on. Um, and what bigger lesson can we have than that? Do we really That's need to right. have so many tourists that... And, and I'm speaking as somebody who's travelled the world for for at least 30 years or more, 40 years probably. Um, it, do we really have to have so much tourism? I'm quite happy to stay at home, to be honest now. <laughs> well, it's quite a statement Definitely about our impact. You've already been everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but we have an impact on everything around us that it's not very positive. And the lockdown yeah. illustrated that and in a whole new way. Well, I think I think the thing is that you know we have to not just have will individually um, to change things, and so that we can actually give nature a chance to show us what it you know its its power and beauty. Um, but we have to have political will because you know well we you know you we live in democracies we we need to be responsible enough to elect politicians who are actually prepared to recognize what we need rather than what um, what will make money. And I'm really sorry well, to have that to say is that. So, we need to, so true. Yes. Yeah. We're, we need we're to pretty get our disgusted heads in this country with what we have going on and there's a lot of outcry about the people that have been elected that are not the voice of the people anymore. They are just lining their own pockets and getting involved in things that make them more money and meanwhile we have people that are starving in this country, people that are homeless in this country. And yet we're sending Well the same billions thing of dollars everywhere. from every place else. It's terrible. So the, we've lost yes. that, that connection. Here's another connection that's broken. Uh, we've lost the connection right. between that's our right. representatives and ourselves. It's it's just not there. That's right. And, you know, it, it's all, as, as you started in, at the very beginning of our conversation, it's all about this incredible network of um, of life that is so intricate and I think, you know, I, I really enjoy David Attenborough's latest series, um, Perfect Planet. I don't know if you've had it over there yet. Um, yeah, you've heard of it. But it's uh, at, a, at an ecological level, at a people level, um, there's all these threads, both things that we can observe and things that we can only just feel. Everything everything's connected to everything else. And it's like, you know, you, you watch a spider on a web. Um, they've got to be very careful that they don't uh, shake the web up too much, otherwise 
the prey will know that they're on their way. <laughs> and um, but everything's a web, and it's and it's such an intricate system. The whole planet is an extraordinarily intricate system, and it's and and also it, the planet itself. And this is one of the themes of my book is that we don't usually think of it this way, but the planet is a being in itself. It is not an inert thing that we can treat like a rock, you know. It's it's a living system. And uh, if we continue to act like parasites, are we going to get that like... Um, like we we we're not supposed to be here because the planet itself is not going to put up with something that that, that destroys it. That's Good true, point. and as well it it shouldn't. So here's something that we can all do, which is to find resonance with the David Kingdom because that is a way a way home. That's a way to reconnect and Mm -hmm. to basically refine our own alignments and spirits and souls so that we are working together, uh, at least with the Deva Kingdom. If we can't work with each other, we might want to start with the Deva Kingdom and see how far we can get. I don't know if you... I I haven't experienced an an American winter in in the colder areas, Um, and um, I have lived in England during winters, but I've never um, really had the opportunity to um, to go and feel what it's like, uh, what the connection is like when when it's covered in snow. Do either of you have anything to to say about your sense of nature when things were in the in the middle of a snowy winter? What is it like for you? I can remember back when I was a kid, the thing that I used to enjoy the most because I was raised in Illinois was the fact that when it was a real cold winter, when you walked on the snow, the snapping of the sound of your feet and the crunching of the sound. But then at night, the silence that would be with it, that in itself was so unique. It was just a, a, a definitely a feel-good, even though it was cold. But it, right. there's that other side of it that's exceptionally yeah, and I would go along with that, PK, also. I would say the same thing. It's the, the, What I find the most powerful about wintertime is the silence when it snows. It's silent. Right. You know, it's not like rain pouring down and you can hear it on the pavement or the grass or anything. You can't hear it snow. And uh-huh. yet it's so powerful mm. and how it blankets everything and and stops everything and so you have to sit and reflect it it is powerful and it's silence for sure and it's fresh yes you've actually just triggered my memory a bit here because um i did experience um snow like that in um in the midlands in england in 1970 and um yeah well it is it is really silent isn't it and i think that um you know it's kind of like it's kind of like when you're in a really, really good meditation and you can actually feel everything um, mm-hmm. acutely because it's silent and there's not that noise that's assaulting you all the time from whether it's traffic or whether it's people talking or 
just, you know, life happening. Yeah. Yeah. You don't, you don't even realize how silent things can become until you think back on it or happen to step into that space again. Yes. And, and what's I think, interesting, you know, you can also yeah. find yourself getting more acclimated. I mean, the cold weather or the hot weather. You need, and you're PK in the warm weather. I'm in the cold weather. But you find yourself, your whole body acclimates to it. So I know here in New England we have a running joke that, you know, we, we'd be walking around in shorts when it's, it's 30 degrees, 40 degrees PK. You'd be covered up in your blanket. You know, it's, that's for you sure. Adjust. <laughs> yeah, you adjust to what's around you, and, and that's part of the connection and appreciating well, when would, that. When I lived in Maryland, I would come here at Thanksgiving time. I would come to Arizona, and my mother would say, put on a coat. It's cold outside. I'm going, oh, my God. For me, it was hot because our body temperatures had dropped so much being out there. In uh, Maryland, coming here, it felt like it was going to Florida. I mean, it was just so much warmer. But she couldn't. She couldn't get that through her. That she. That it. I didn't need to have a winter coat on, even though it was November. All I wanted was a light sweater, if you than that, because the difference in the temperature, how you feel with it, because your body temperature changes. Yeah, right. Which shows us how adaptable we are. We had a similar experience living in Egypt. Um, people would be all rugged up in their winter, and we thought it was really warm. <laughs> It yeah. was for us, but yeah. So the the point is, yeah, we're we're very adaptable, um, and I just would like you know for people listening to take away from our discussions that if each one of us can become really aware of our surroundings, and even if you don't. I mean, I'm I'm look I'm staring out the window and I'm I'm looking at green. Everything's green outside, but you know, even if you live in a city, you can still pick up. Um, you can still pick up on Deva. You can still pick up on what is the Deva of the building you're in like. Um, if you li- just live in a house, you know your house has its own particular feel because you you have you are using elementals all the time in your emotional body, your mental body, and those elementals are helping to contribute to the feel of your house. So, you know, what does it feel like? What, what have I created here by, by being the way I am? That's, that's the kind of... Um, that's the kind of life I have projected and onto the world in the form of my house. And, you know, you walk into some houses and they feel really great and others, you know, you want to get out of in a big hurry. And <laughs> they, they reflect. But, but houses also can, and this is probably an important point, houses and buildings generally can often be built over places in the earth where the earth elementals are actually performing some kind of um, function. And I've found that in England, um, no, sorry, it was Scotland, uh, there was a, a particular, the house that I used to go stay in a lot, there was one corner of the, of the big lounge 
the lounge hardly ever got used. There was a small sitting room that got used a lot. But this lounge, we didn't use it because in the corner there was a really bad feeling. Now, what I suspect happened was that the that part of the building was built over one of these places where the nature spirits um, were needing to release from the earth, something from the earth. Marco Pajagnik talks about this in his book as well. Um, and the no matter how how much we tried with friends coming who were who were skilled at this sort of thing, how much we tried to um, mend whatever was wrong in this room, it didn't work. Nothing worked. And it could well have been because the building had been put over whatever it was that the nature spirits were trying to do in that place. So, you know, that it's, it's a pity that we don't have people who can actually help us with these things. In New Zealand, we actually have got... Um, there's occasionally been incidents where the Maori people, who are our indigenous people, have been here about 600 years longer than um, us whiteies, and they um, have got, in some instances, have managed to get roads altered because there's been accidents on a particular stretch of road for no apparent reason. The same things happened in um, Iceland. Uh, where there's a recognition of the elves. And here, the influence is said to be what's called a tanifa, which is kind of like a, it's kind of like a dragony kind of a, a, um, an elemental. And that the road has been put over where these uh, tanifa live, and that's causing the accidents because it's upset the tanifa, and the tanifa needs to be released. So, yeah, there's lots of implications for um, how we do things and how we build things. If we were still in touch with these um, these energies, as these people are and as we could be, um, we might save some strife here and there. Definitely, there'd be so much to to be gained by relationship with the Deva Kingdom. Let me ask you a question about Egypt. When you were there, it's an unusual countries, a lot of desert. What types of divas did you, or devas, I should say, did you encounter there? Um, well, I love the deva of the deserts, you know, the actual deserts. When you're away from places like Cairo, we weren't living in Cairo. We were about an hour out of Alexandria, but um, often we visited Cairo, of course. But out in the western deserts, I, I really loved being out in places like that. Um, and there's a, um, a pretty interesting desert a couple of hours north of Cairo where there are actually whale skeletons on the, on the sand. <laughs> mm. So um, it's amazing because you, 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 you see these skeletons and, and, and have to think about, my goodness, you know, the sea has come up that much that there's whale skeletons sitting on the top. Um, yeah. The desert, the desert davers, I find, and in Australia as well, I just find them just so peaceful, and so um, it's like they're kind of really broad and um, 
they sit in the air above the desert and kind of flattened out rather than um, whereas ones from the mountains often are, are kind of spirally and and more confined but in the desert you get that wonderful sense of their of their great size and, and broadness and um, peace as well you know a lot of peace yeah that's I, I, I haven't been to the deserts in America so I, I can't tell you about those um, maybe one of your listeners can but um, yeah I, I don't have experience of the American deserts I'm afraid you're going to have to come here and tell us what you feel it's such a huge country um, it is. yeah it is. I've been to Vermont times and uh, to New York a couple of times Los Angeles of course and trained up from South America and Central America. But um, I would like, there's lots of parts of America uh, that you'll have to extend the visa program because at the moment foreigners like me can only visit for three months at a time. We did once used to think that it would be nice to take a caravan around America and we have relatives who've done that, but that's not possible anymore, unfortunately, with your rules. Yeah. Wow. However, um, yes, there are parts my parents had both been to. Um, uh, oh gosh, um, the, the Grand Canyon. But um, what's the the other one? Zion is it? Not sure oh, which Zion, uh, Zion is that the name of the place? Uh, there were, were there other deserts you've got further? Not on, not the um, not the main ones, but. Um, oh, I can't there's remember a, the name. And, I'm pretty sure it's Zion. Is that right? Yeah, there's a Zion Park, a national park. It's beautiful. There's uh, oh, yeah. waterfalls and such and that there. They're just lovely. That's, uh, why did, that's another interesting one I've got in the book, is that in Australia at Ayers Rock, which is one of the you know the driest places on Earth, there's, um, there is a, there's a, um, a waterfall Coming out of the one, one of the rock, out of the rock itself, out of Uluru, which is the native name for um, Ayers Rock, and it's hard to believe it because it's it comes kind of like out of nowhere. You think, well, there's no rain here. It's a desert. This rock is as barren as could be. There's no vegetation on it, and yet there's this waterfall coming out of the top of the rock coming down the, down the side of the rock, it's, and it's a big rock. Uh, quite incredible. Yes, I'd forgotten about that central part of Australia. Um, it's, the desert there feels quite different to me to the, to the ones in, Europe, in um, Egypt, and the, the desert in Australia, um, um, particularly around Uluru, um, Ayers Rock and, and places like that has more. It does have more life. There is some vegetation around around it, not on the rocks, the big rocks themselves, but around it. And it is a very different feel. The days are very different there from the ones in Egypt. To answer your now question, what, yeah. What made do you travel as much as you did? Because obviously. You've been to ex- extreme places that most of us would dream about and have never had the opportunity to go. 
Well, very largely it's been because of my husband. Um, uh, he trained in, in England for his job in textiles, so you know we ended up living there when we were quite young. Um, and then um, his job, uh, like a lot of jobs in the world, got exported to China, and um, mm-hmm. so he had to travel to um, to work. And so he's worked in a lot of different countries. But I also travelled as a child. I was brought up in Western Samoa for several years. Um, and it's just the way my astrological chart is, I guess. It's just yeah. been my fate to um, visit almost 49 countries outside New Zealand so far. Definitely <laughs> oh a child of the universe. Yeah. Oh, lucky for you. I'm sorry? I said how yes. lucky for you. Yeah. Oh. Um, I have been very, very lucky and um, very grateful, but perhaps that, that was my destiny in this lifetime, and in another lifetime it will be very different. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Jacqueline. This has been a wonderful evening, and you've imparted a lot of wisdom here for us to digest and hopefully reconnect with the Deva Kingdom that you've uh, you've shared with us tonight. And again, everybody, the name of the book is Deva, Our Relationship. <laughs> With the Subtle World, our guest tonight has been Jacqueline Lane, and the book is available on Amazon if you'd like to read it. And next week, everybody, we have Guion Raven coming back with his beautiful wife, Phoenix, and they are going to share all kinds of things to do for a ritual life. So, again, reconnecting with that. So it's it's one constant theme you're going to hear from Supernatural Girls. So, again, Jacqueline Thank you so much, and everybody next week will be back. And until then, we'll see you on the Blue Highway. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural Girls. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 